This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there and welcome to this extra special uh, episode of the Explaining History podcast. Today I'm joined by the historian and writer Dominic Selwood uh, to talk about his book Anatomy of a Nation, which is an exploration of British culture and identity over the last uh, several millennia. And the book actually goes back to the very beginnings of Britain as a uh, a separate island uh, nearly a, a million years ago. And uh, we are going to explore everything from Brexit to the uh, future of uh, the British monarchy and the uh, hopes and prospects of Britain as a unified nation state. Anyway, without further ado, I be, it's my pleasure to introduce Dominic and let's get a start with this fascinating and absorbing interview. Thanks very much. Okay, so um, welcome to the Explaining History podcast, uh, Dominic Selwood. We're here um, to talk um, about uh, Dominic's book, Anatomy of a Nation. And um, before we begin talking about the, the kind of the, the, the discussion that we were going to engage in today uh, about 
what we can we can gain about uh, understanding about sort of the identity of, of of modern Britain. I'd like to to begin by um, inviting you, Dominic, just to talk about the book and the project and how it came about and um, um, and, and a little bit about about your kind of journey really through uh, through through writing this. Great. Well, thanks very much, Nick. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, so the book really started because I wanted to write a history of Britain. But I wanted to do it in a, in a slightly atypical way. I wanted to look at identity as one of the main themes about how we can think about the country. And I also wanted to use documents. And my thinking behind that was that there are, there are lots of things one can use to examine the past. You know, there's archaeology, there's architecture. But I just find documents really specifically evocative because they can get you right back into the words and the thinking and the minds of people from different ages. And we often think that we don't really have documents going back to you know some of the times in the very distant past, but we really do. And so that was one of the joys of the book, really going back and finding personal things written by people, you know, as far back as the Roman period. Sure. Because I think we have, we have so much that we think about in history that is official or state, government, wars, battles. But I'm really interested in the people and the stories and finding those from throughout history and it, and it really is possible so you know from the lives of, mm. of women in roman times or medieval period so that was really that was really part of the thing so it's but, it's but, it's in a way partly an oral history um of when when in, in that in that sense yeah it's definitely a, it's definitely a people history people's history yes in that sense totally um and then the you know the question of identity just become really much more f- focused and fixed for me while i was writing it because the Brexit debate started happening around me at the time, and so also did the culture wars and the statues wars. Sure. And this really focused for me what what you know what is happening in our country, what is it what is at stake, what are we really arguing about, and it, it dawned on me really quite early on that in as much as you know something like Brexit it was was framed as discussions about our future, in lots of ways actually they were they were they were. You know, competing visions of our past. Hmm. So um, a lot of that got folded into it. So I, I found it, I found it timely and fascinating to look into it. You know, in that period. I mean, the 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 past in any country in any given moment is contested. I I, I would argue uh, there's no country in the world you can go to where. I think there's a general consensus of yes, well, this is who we are, and this is what's happened, and I think we're all kind of in, in agreement on that. Um, there is, you know, there's this old kind of Marxist dictum, isn't there, that, you know, class struggle is, is sometimes hidden, sometimes revealed. And I think um, cultural debates, if you will, or, or cultural um, struggles, uh, struggles over identity, are they're, they're sometimes hidden, they're sometimes revealed, but they're always sort of ongoing. Um, and I... I I guess my question about the period we're in at the moment, you you can call it the, the Brexit era, or I think it goes back before that, is is why we we've had this 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 kind of renewed intensity of um, of battles over identity. Um, I think it begins. I think it predates twenty sixteen. Uh, but what what are your thoughts? I agree with you entirely. Um, I think that, that um, Brexit is a symptom um, of a, a really quite profound malaise and identity crisis that we've been battling with really since, um, since the Second World War. 
<clears throat> and that, that is part of something that doesn't only afflict us, actually, interestingly and tragically, if we look at what's happening in Russia and Ukraine at the moment, um, there are similar forces at stake, which is it's trying to find a role in a post-imperial world. And we have been trying to do it for most of the reign of, of Queen Elizabeth, really. Um, and it's that it's that trying to come to terms with the transition from, I mean, in the case of Britain, um, an, an entity that, that, you know, if you look at maps from the 1920s and 30s, you'll see that a quarter of the world is coloured pink. Mm-hmm. And now we're trying to trying to understand how we fit in yeah. as a modern country that's smaller than the state of Oregon and, and you know, and 10 other US states. And that's a difficult transition. And other, other imperial countries go through it too. Um, but in our case, things like Brexit and things like the culture wars, I think are very, very tightly mapped to that. Yeah. I mean, if you if you look at um, European, uh, you know, European nations with with kind of equivalent imperial histories, perhaps not on quite the same scale, but countries, say, for example, the the Netherlands, you know, the the Netherlands decolonised Indonesia just after the Second World War. It's just, you know, Indonesia's vast, vast archipelago. Um, The uh, the French went through a process of um, in fact, a much more bloody, um, protracted pr- process of decolonization um, yeah. in Algeria and, and Vietnam and parts of Africa. It's hard to say, I suppose, whether they have more settled um, uh, kind of uh, approaches to to the past. The fact that there's a, you know a much more vigorous fascist movement in in France right now than there has ever been in the United Kingdom at any point. Uh, would would suggest otherwise, and um, so one of the things I think um, Brexit has done is that it has um, you know uh, given the, the the identity crisis is in 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 Britain an outsized role in the world. It's it's been obviously been a very very high profile thing, but I think it it gives cover to other countries who have similar similar battles around identity um and you know it, it sort of um kind of allows those to go slightly below the radar i think um but with your yeah, i think i think i think we have a we have a particular tension don't we that, yeah that's a that's, well every country is unique but our unique tension is that is that historically if you go back to um you know, sort of the, the beginning of recorded history in this country, which is usually taken as the arrival of the Romans when writing arrived. Um, you know, from that period onwards, we have been one of those Western European countries that has perpetuated this idea of Romanitas, the Romanness that bound everything together, certainly for a thousand years by the by the by the, the sort of church and Western ecclesiastical civilization. Um, but then after the Reformation. We did something that, that other countries didn't do to such a great extent, which is that we 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 created this this um, Anglosphere mm-hmm. at the heart of you know our various empires. Yeah. Um, and so then, then when the Age of Empire ended, we had we had this split between our sense of ourselves as part of the Anglosphere and our sense of ourselves as part of Western European humanist tradition. Yeah. So when Winston yeah. Churchill at the, at the end of World War Two gave that very famous speech that called for the creation of the European Union, he said, "This is what Europe has to do to stop itself from going back to war again." Because you know the one thing we know about Europe is that throughout history, it's completely excelled at is warfare. Um, 
But he said, so Europe needs to do this. This is the way to prevent it happening again. But Britain will not be part of it because Britain owes its, you know, links its relations to the Anglosphere, that great mm-hmm. sort of, you know, group of things. So, so already that dichotomy was, was there. And I think, I think, you know, we are feeling that because um, when in listening to the Brexit debates or any of the conversations I'm sure, you know, you have or we all hear all the time, one really does hear that articulated, that, that sense of, well, we are a, you know, we are a Western European country, but on the other hand, we have this slightly different, slightly Anglosphere type history. So those two tensions, I think, play for us particularly and, and cause difficulties. Well, there's this um, really interesting uh, thesis that Tony Judd um, put forward uh, in his book Post-War. He said that Russia and Britain are sort of... They have a certain similarity in their relationship with Europe in that they both exist on its peripheries um, and they are never their their identities as European countries are never quite settled. And there is if you look in, you know, from Peter the Great onwards, there is this um, Petrine tradition of shall we be like Europe? Shall we build cities like um, uh, St. Petersburg, which looked like you know, Vienna and Stockholm and Berlin, or shall we be, you know, the 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 um, the Slavic Russian um, Eastern-looking, unique, uniquely non-European uh, people? And I guess in a in a very different way, there's still this tension of um, is Britain's world, the Atlanticist world, is it is, is it this connection to Europe and that debate has, has kind of run through Europe, uh, run, run through uh, kind of British post-war history. I mean, I think I, 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 I doubt whether that dichotomy was, was what was motivating lots of people when they uh, went to cast their polling cards in um, in, in 2016. Um, I think they're they they're kind of deeper, more emotive things um, guiding people. Um to to focus now for a moment on um, identity at the end of um, the kind of the, the the second Elizabethan era, not to be too too morbid, but there is you know the the, the tabloid vultures are circling at the moment, and the um, and the, the Queen is ninety five years old, and we we are we are approaching um, a, a, what I think will be a, a very um, uh, a, a very fundamental juncture in in in, in British identity. Um, from the 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 it's the seventieth year of the Queen being on the throne, um, so she's the longest reigning British monarch. And uh, what has happened to Britain's sense of itself throughout that period? Do you think? I mean, it, it, the rain really quite encapsulates it very nicely because she 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 starts in um, you know 1952, so you know really in in the immediate aftermath of World War Two and takes us up to the modern age, and that is the period in which I think Britain has changed so radically. And if one if one looks back to other periods in history, you know whether if one picks you know the, the sort of the sub Roman period or Viking period or Norman period, you know of course things change, things always change and evolve. But the speed of change in her reign, the speed of change of the modern world is just so vast. Um, Britain in, in 1952 and Britain now really are almost unrecognisable places. And we can come on to talk about, about what that is, you know, what, the, what, those, um, what those vast changes are. Um, but I think, I think it's happened so quickly that things like 
Brexit and things like the the culture wars, they do um, they they do allow people to sort of go back to the earlier part of her reign because this is all within this is all within a lifetime. Sure. This is all within living memory. But 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 it really is an unrecognisable country, both in terms of well, you know, in terms of so many things, in terms of economics, in terms of technology, in terms of um, culture, in terms of sort of DNA and people, in terms of its place in the world. Mm. Um, all those things have changed so dramatic, you know, dr- uh, drastically and dramatically. Um, and yet she has sort of been, been that one unchanging thing. She's quite a sort of uh, security blanket, I think, in, in lots of ways because mm-hmm. she she sort of stands for this um, uh, calm monarchy that, that that sits over the top of all of it. But that, of course, is is you know that that that's something that that she personifies, you know, and her father personified, um, and uh, uh, you know her grandfather personified. But actually, before that, I mean, Victoria wasn't remotely Victorian. You know, Edward Edward the Seventh, you know, the the Playboy King, so wasn't remotely Victorian either. No. So actually, we think we think of it as quite an old fashioned view of monarchy. But in some senses, it's really quite a twentieth century monarchy. This was. Um, you know George V and George VI, who both, you know, as wartime kings, really felt the need to do their duty and 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 be, um, you know, dignified images of service, yes. which is what she's really taken up and what she's what she's really captured. Yeah. Um, so you know, fascinating questions about about where it goes next because that by no means has always been the monarchy. But no. That's definitely been the twentieth century monarchy. Well, I mean, I suppose if you look at the the way in which the monarchy has shaped itself from um, Prince Albert onwards. I mean, he was a very clever kind of innovator of uh, and, and understood the problems that a constitutional monarchy has in the 19th century, where it hasn't got a direct role in ruling, but needs to be able to 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 justify its existence. And you know, uh, Albert, this great patron of science and engineering, and agriculture and all these other things that are transforming um, uh, Great Britain at that time the um, the, the, the the kind of the um, the skill um, that Albert um, before his untimely death demonstrated in helping um, the the royal family to kind of navigate change I think there are echoes of that throughout um, the the this kind of second Elizabethan age um the 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 royal family and some fairly skilled advisors have um been successful in some instances in saying well you know we we need to present the royal family in this sort of a way you know all the way down to having kind of meeting the public and having garden parties and things like that uh, being appearing to be less remote and then there have been certain catastrophic PR disasters, um, the the kind of the, the death of Diana being the, the kind of the obvious standout one, where they've misjudged the public mood, uh, and uh, throughout it all seems to be that one thing: the the the, the growing role of the public um, as um, a kind of a de- determinant of the uh, the continuation of the royal family there, there has been vast vast social change in the way people think about britain and their role and their part in it and and their um their relationship with the monarchy i think i think that's absolutely true um you know if one thinks that's pretty early on in her reign so what from 52 but in in you know 1960 we have the lady chatley's lover trial mm-hmm. um you know and that really really um brings into tight focus questions about about the establishment and ordinary people and whether there is a gulf between 
views. Yeah. And um, I'm certainly one of those who doesn't think that the, the trial in 19, you know, beginning of the 60s, kicks off the 60s. I think actually it's, it's you know, the jury able to come to that view at that time. It's already a product of the 50s. Sure. You know, the, 50s, the 50s was a decade of, of, you know, of great optimism. It opens with the Festival of Britain. You know, by 57, Macmillan is able to say, you know, we've never had it so good. Um, people, people are already continuing that journey, which, which you know, starts at the beginning of the century of actually moving away from the, 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 the very rigid, hidebound, deferential mm-hmm. sort of structures in Britain to something to something sort of much looser. Um, so, so Elizabeth comes in at the beginning of that, although although the old guard is still very very much there. Yeah. And then we see in you know in the Profumo affair, sort of nineteen sixty one sixty three, you know, leading to, to Wilson's resignation. That you know the country is actually you know quite shocked. Um, mm. uh, you know, by lots of it's not it's not yet a, a, a completely sort of liberal, liberal place, but those those those. Um, currents are absolutely there and so in 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 the current queen's reign she has seen it change from from really that that still quite conservative but on the cusp of 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 evolving country into now an extraordinarily um liberal forward-thinking technological multicultural um society that that is is largely unrecognizable well Part of my, I mean, often when I think about the, the, the transition from, say, the world my grandparents lived in, um, both, you know, who at, at the end of the, 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 the Second World War, to the world, so that I, I grew up in, in the kind of 1980s and 1990s, and the world that my son kind of in, inhabits now. And I think, well, what was the revolutionary fact, the revolutionary force? Because in, in a way, Britain has undergone a series of um, social and cultural revolutions in the uh, the second half of the 20th century. Um, and it's my my conclusion mainly is that uh, uh, mass consumer affluence has been the the, the determinant. The reason why we are not shocked anymore when fairly regular profumo level scandals occur, um, the reason why our attitudes about sexuality, immigration, um, are have you know, with, uh, with the exception of a, a few unpleasant kind of uh, examples, have almost exclusively radically changed for the better. Um, the reasons for um, the the kind of the the geographical and social mobility that people have, which is unprecedented, um, I put down to this this development of of mass consumer affluence that seems to have uh, have changed the world dramatically. Where, where, that, what are your thoughts there on was that? that lo- yeah, no, there, there's that lovely quote. I've actually I've, I've got it in the book um, of um, looking looking at the question of of why didn't. Um, the communist revolution happened in Britain, you know, as, as Marx and Engels had been sort of so convinced it would be, having come over and seen, you know, the conditions in the in the factories, you know, when Britain really was, you know, the workshop of the world, and was exporting all of these things and developing these incredible infrastructure, railways and canals, you know, at, at, at a human cost that you know people still argue about, you know, whether whether it was beneficial, whether it was not beneficial, whether people's lives were improved, whether they weren't, you know, fascinating. We still don't know the answer to that, mm. but. Um, 
but that that question also you know why didn't in, in this country where there were so many workers treated you know in those kinds of ways why didn't the revolution happen here and 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 um some some wag journalists in the 50s said you know that the um the sound of marx and you know marx and engels have been have been have been supplanted by marx and spencer yeah and the sound of the sound of class warfare has been drowned out by the sound of the spin dryer um and 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 the, the point really was that you know britain's workers and 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 the unions have always been much more um, protective of the workforce rather than militant. I mean, of course, there have been examples, but in general, there's that. So I agree with you. I think I think uh, um, British society did become very wrapped up in in consumerism, and mm. that has an effect because, because on the whole, it makes people more comfortable. Yeah. Um, it, it, it doesn't, of course, happen in a vacuum. We see we see this happening in lots of other parts of the world as well, which is why the world, you know, all modernizes together. It was it wasn't just Britain that was modernizing. Yeah. But I think I think you know Britain. Britain has a way of not doing things by halves and it, and it did consumerize very um, very very comprehensively uh, well, and that I think that is one of the reasons for significant change yeah well this is I mean I, I, I agree with you and I think the the kind of the relative degree of um, political consensus and and I won't use the word harmony because it's not always been harmonious but the 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 fact that Britain has historically, managed to avoid you know mass parties of political extremes on either side it has got a lot to do with the fact that um you know britain is uh, is what is a a uh, an, an old capitalist society um by which i mean that the the kind of the processes of globalization um that um lead led to growing material affluence uh, in Britain have been over the period of about about 150 years and what is what has happened normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare it pays to be extra and united healthcare makes it easy with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they supplement your primary plan helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods so when it comes to covering your medical bills you can feel good about being a little extra visit uh1.com to find the health protector guard plan for you when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. During that time is that liberal capitalism, if you go all the way back to the debates over free trade throughout the 19th century, to the majority of the population, liberal capitalism has made more of a sense than its revolutionary alternatives. Revolutions, um, you know, Marxist-Leninism 
was possible in Russia because of the collapse of the state you know because um and it becomes there's a, a revolutionary window in places like germany in 1919 because of the crisis of the state and uh, had britain lost the first world war perhaps the story would have been different but um it, it the these things kind of exist within a context and you, you're right about the trade unions in that most trade union militancy in britain has been to enable british workers to have a bigger slice of you know the, the uh, of the, the the returns of capitalism as opposed to you know smashing the system putting the bourgeoisie up against the wall and come the glorious day and all that so uh, this sort of uh, what we experience i th you know this this relatively and i say relatively because that in you know there are numerous examples where this isn't the case relatively uh kind of uh, consensual society that of, of the last 50 60 years does have a have like historical roots it's not just because there's something exceptionally wonderful about british people in our kind of moderate ways no i think i think i think that's right um and uh, two two things from that actually one is that in in terms of our sense of well where do we go after the loss of empire i think i think absolutely folded into that also is where do we go after the loss of our industry Mm -hmm. Because actually, you know, the industrial revolution and empire are, are, are you know, are coterminous, and they're so closely bound up with each other. Yeah, that that, that Britain's sense of itself and what it and what it's doing and what and one of its roles in the world is very linked in with industry and mass production. Um, and so now that now that industry has gone, um, that that also and sort of the, the nostalgia for for industry uh, and the industry as was and the great sort of you know production house of britain i think that's very bound in with with the sense of loss after after empire as well and the sense of direction well, how do we make our way in a world where it, these are sort of service economies um but the other thing the harmony harmony yes but also no on some levels one of the things that i that i i, I concluded after looking at britain throughout all of these ages is that actually we're incredibly tribal. Um, um, uh, yes, we're violent. I mean, violent, the first document in the book is, is, is axes and daggers on Stonehenge. And really, there, there, there isn't a period in British history when there isn't some extraordinary battle going on of one sort or another that, that, that is defining of the nation's identity. And, you know, poor school children, have, school children have to wrestle with this all the time. I mean, it's just battle after battle after battle. Mm -hmm. And most of them are, are significant in one way or another. You know, um, um, but, but, you know, Beneath that, I think at a societal level, when you think of the fact that, you know, so many parliaments around the world are, are you know, beautifully arrayed in, 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 in sort of amphitheatres or semicircles or, or, you know, it's just something that's trying to create an architectural plea sure. for unity or, 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 um, or, or um, um, you know, finding some way forward together, compromise. Actually, we still we still love this, you know, sort of neo-Gothic chamber where we can shout and jab at each other across a, across the central aisle. Um, and you know, courts again. I mean, the legal system. We still have this this adversarial legal system. I mean, it's it's jolly effective. Mm. You know, but other countries, their sort of inquisitorial system is a little bit different. I think we do have tribalism built deep into um, mm -hmm. into Britain. And, you know, lots of British people, if, if you meet them, the one thing that they really love doing, you know, sooner or later, is, you know, defining themselves by who they're not or who they're against or what they find really objectionable. Yeah. Um, so there is, there, there is, there is an element of, of uh, oppositionality, I think, in the, in the British psyche as well. 
I think if, if you're looking at Britain in the long term, obviously, you know, Britain itself, the you know, United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and before that, the United Kingdom, Great Britain and Ireland, and before that, Great Britain, these are constructs and they have a period of, they have they have a lifespan. Um, and so, so lo- looking at Britain, and you go back, you know, really to the, the very beginnings of life on the British Isles, um, it sort of almost depends which Britain you're talking about, really, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, th- I think that's, that's, that's one of the places where I try to go with the book, to say, well, if, if we're lost now, and I think we are, where do we go next? And the temptation is to say, well, look, we have to either resurrect this Churchillian, keep calm and carry on, slightly sort of, you know, dying days of the empire, Britain, you know, or we have to slot in with the, with the European Union and, and, and do the um, consensual continental thing. But actually, if you look back at history, I think, I think we, we, we don't do that. We find completely new things. And if, if you look at the transitions from Roman to sub-Roman to Anglo-Saxon to Viking to Norman to more French, then there's more English identity emerging after the Hundred Years' War, then to the Tudors, and then the Reformation, of course, there's Protestant identities, um, and then and then Hanoverians, uh, again, changing things entirely by bringing this whole you know Germanic feel, at least into the sort of the, the court and government, you know, all the way through into, into the 20th century with the, um, you know, mass immigration of the, of the sort of, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, actually, the identities that we move between, they very rarely, when there's a point of conflict, come down one side or the other on what was before. They come up with something actually quite stunningly new. Yeah. Um, so my, my, my sense is that, that we will find a way forward from this. It's not going to be quick, but it, it's unlikely to be one of the historic identities. I think we can be inspired by our historic identities. And... Um, and draw real comfort from the fact that that we do very very radically different things. I mean, we have been so many different, diff- I mean, actually genuinely different countries. The name, I mean, you say the, the names have changed, but even if we, as a kind of blunt tool, say the name is the same, actually, what's going on underneath and internally is incredibly different. Speaking different languages, looking in different directions, yeah. sometimes looking across the Atlantic, sometimes looking to Scandinavia, sometimes looking to France. So yes, I, I think the new identity will, will will not be one of the old ones. It will it will be something that fits for 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 the twenty first century in a modern world whose whose problems are very different mm. to the to the problems of the past. Well, the um, there's a, a fantastic book if you've read it, David Edgerton's uh, Rise and Fall of the British Nation, and his his view of what what Brexit signifies. He says, you know, at, at the end of the Second World War, we cease being a kind of well, you know, within the the, the decade afterwards, cease being an imperial. Uh, power, and the, the the a new conception of Britishness was this uh, was a, a more a more nation centric, uh, self sufficient um, uh, nation state, um, and this and, and that kind of by the nineteen seventies has lost its way. Um, the joining the EU uh, or the EEC as it was, was at the time, and then Margaret Thatcher's. Um, um, Really, sort of, um, sort of plugging Britain through things like the, the, the deregulation of the stock market and the Big Bang, and um, the, the the kind of the opening up of uh, of Britain and relaxing of various controls. Really, kind of plugging Britain much more fundamentally into globalisation uh, ended that conception of the nation, and that sort of you know muddles along till two thousand and eight, and there's this big financial crisis, and then in twenty sixteen. 
bang there's this big essentially nationalist explosion and after 2016 no as you're saying no settled state about the nature of uh, of british identity and nationhood has re-emerged i mean one possibility as we see a kind of an overall decline in people's faith in institutions one possibility certainly is uh scottish independence um whether that happens or 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 doesn't there's a a significant chance of it um and the the possibility of reunification of the um with uh, of northern ireland with the irish republic um the 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 kind of the overall sort of rise of of nationalisms within the united kingdom obviously that's that's not a a post-brexit thing either this is you have to look back to the 1970s to see the um the the emergence of the scottish nationalist party and slightly even earlier to look at here in wales the the, the development of plaid cymru i see um the the uh the various interrelationships between um, Wales, Scotland, Ireland and England are fascinating over, over the historical period because as, as entities within themselves, um, they have remained. I mean, one, one can point to um, definitive Welsh, Irish, Scottish and English cultures you know, for most of that period. Um, so, so there has actually been um, real consistency you know, so amongst the building blocks of the UK, as it were, um, uh, uh, over time. Um, what's fascinating is is the, the the very different combinations of of independence, codependence, and union that have been found between those four blocks. Yeah. Um, o- o- over the periods, and you're right. We're, you know, we're going into a period when mm. when, along with everything else, that is being thrown up in the air again. I mm. mean, the, the Scotland question is is very real. Sure. Um, I you think know, and, uh, you know, as as, as is the Irish, mm. both both um, simmering along in their own ways, but but also very much um, catalyzed now by Brexit. Sure. I think many Scots and Irish can look at Brexit and, and say that this is essentially an English nationalist project. Uh, and the the voting, I mean, the voting in Wales that would suggest that, you know, there was some majority in in, um, in Wales for, 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 for Brexit, but certainly um, the, the majority of voters appear to have been English voters. Um, yeah, swing with, yeah, in the marches. Yeah. So, so this is um, this 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 places a huge, you know, a, possibly a, a a huge pressure on the union. It, I think people imagine that either of those changes or a done deal are, are getting a bit ahead of themselves, but um, they they're both more likely than they were. I would say. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, when you say it's an English uh, an English nationalism, and it's it's also. Um, <laughs> Amusing. I remember sitting listening to debate one day, listening listening to when the take back control slogan came out, and realizing actually that, that um, take is old Norse, back is German, control is French, and so it might it might be an English movement. But you know the 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 history of of, of Britain is so intertwined with these other cultures yeah. that we couldn't even express a desire to separate ourselves from from Europe without using three European words. Um, I think I think you know joking aside. The degree of interconnectedness is is something that shouldn't be underplayed mm-hmm. historically. Sure, sure. Um, and I think there was a, a thing that David Reynolds um, argued when he said that 
the Union itself had been given throughout the 20th century a, a kind of a, a prolonged lifespan by the product by the uh, the factors of two world wars and, and a cold war having these um, external crises you may he said basically you know at the end of the, the Second World War you might have had a generation of Scots Welsh and Irish people thinking well I've I've no love for the English but we've you know we served and we served um, the, the the king. And we marched under the the, the 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 Union flag into battle, and you know we we have you know we are we have a a loyalty and an identity in, in that sense. But he was saying that since the end of the Cold War, the these kind of external threats have been um, lessened, and, and that in itself has 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 kind of weakened these internal bonds holding the nations together and i i just wonder as we're going into um a period of history perhaps that nobody will be able to chart for the events in ukraine and what that means for um events around the world maybe the union has dodged another bullet there Weakened, but also strengthened, isn't it? I mean, uh, weakened and it's become more amorphous in lots of ways. But within within individual uh, viewpoints, um, there's often there's often a resilience and a robustness now um, that, that 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 will brook with no dissent or discussion either way. Yeah. Um, so it's the two of those almost move in parallel. Yes. Yes. Um, so, but you know, we're, it, it's it's easy to speculate um, about the future. Um, so when you you look at the the kind of the 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 themes that run through the book from kind of beginning beginning to end are, are there things that you can you, in your your journey through the history of, uh, of of Britain that you could say are kind of constants that you you can identify I was I was looking for things um, it's quite hard because you know the, the, what what sort of sub-Roman Celtic Britain and you know um, uh, Stuart Britain have in common. I mean, it's 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 tricky because they are they are entirely different places with different people and different focuses. Mm. Um, so so one's not going to be able to come up with with some sort of great overarching um, no. thesis of what Britain has always been. But I think I did find two things that sort of consistently stood out. One is that is that for vast periods of its history, Britain has managed, and I'm not saying other countries don't do this, but Britain has, has often managed to be very creative. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking of, um, you know, let's go back to, to Anglo-Saxon times and, 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 and book production, for example. Um, Anglo-Saxon books were some of the most um, valued in Europe. There was an incredible tradition of bookmaking, of literature, of writing, of thinking, uh, and not just the sort of, you know, the Lindisfarne Gospels and the Great Bibles and the Book of Kells and so on, but, but you know, just, just even just sort of scholarly thought and contributing to that great sort of, uh, you know, whirlpool of thought that was, you know, sort of the medieval, medieval intellectualism. So, you know, that kind of creativity, you know, Beowulf, stories like that. I mean, these, these, are, these are incredibly creative and capture the imagination and did of people abroad as well. Um, so in, in most periods, we can find incredible creativity, whether it's in literature, whether it's in theatre, whether it's in design, whether it's in engineering and the mm. Industrial Revolution, whether it's in you know, music or you know, 
sex pistols and dressing up and you know all, all those kind of things there seems there seems to be a constant of creativity that catches the attention of of um many other nations or the rest of the world you know depending on the period um and so i, th I think people do do look at britain and see that um see that creativity i think another thing is actually um the gifted amateur and the dilettante because so many of the um of the things that one thinks of you know sort of british discoveries or great british things whether it's you know some of the typefaces that people read all around the world every day mm. you know invented by people like you know uh, baskerville who was a, a, a japaner uh, or, or caslon who was a you know gun engraver um or or the, or, or the world wide web you know berners lee kind of invented it by accident while he was creating a, a phone directory um there's so many of these of these 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 things that 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 really do mark the world and that sort of are British contributions mm. are done by are done by people in their spare time, um, and I think that's also quite a British, a British thing. We don't we don't like the the serious intellectual or the serious um, person who's trying really hard to do something. The Enlightenment, for example, you know Bacon, Locke, and Newton. I mean these these people. Um, you know, grounded the Enlightenment. There would then be so many different Enlightenments in so many countries. But they're absolutely not like, you know, the French philosophes, this, this kind of, you know, really venerable group of people that everyone holds up and esteems. They're, well, I mean, for, for, for a start, you know, I mean, um, uh, you know, uh, doctors, politicians, lawyers who just happen to have an interest in experimental science and come up with these things. So, yeah, so I think I think creativity and, um, and, and gifted amateurs and dilettantes. Cool. Well, we have a habit of voting for him. Um, <laughs> um, fabulous, fabulous. Well, Dominic, I think we'll we'll draw things to a close there. Um, and thank you so much for um, um, for for agreeing to have a chat with us today. So, um, Anatomy of a Nation uh, is it in print at the moment? Uh, is it coming out? What's the date? Yes, for it? it was. It was. It was out in September. September last year okay. um, in, 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 in the UK. Uh, it came out in the US a couple of weeks ago okay. and it will be in paperback in the UK in September. Fabulous. Available in all good bookshops and I will put a link uh, to the uh, to the book um, uh, in the, 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 the video and podcast notes below. Um, thank you so much, Dominic. And I, I do hope you'll you'll pop back at some point and we can uh, talk about matters of identity and culture some more. I'd love to, Nick. Thanks. It's been a real pleasure. All right. Take good care. All the best. Great. Cheerio. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.